0: Hey guys, how's it going? I want to tell you that I need your help. I am on a mission this year and I'm gonna talk about it constantly, so get ready. My mission this year is to help you. And that means help you in any way that I can. If you wanna grow your business, let's talk. If you want to figure out how to be more profitable, let's talk. If you just want to find out how to bring you know get more time out of your business and not be so crazy running around, if you don't know how to market, if you don't know how to sell, if you don't know how to do anything in your business, I want to help you this year. But here's the catch. I can't help you if you don't tell me what you need. And the way that you can tell me what you need is to send me an email. Shoot me an email at mike at juststartrealestate.com with the subject line, help and we will talk, whether that's on a Zoom or just on the phone, whatever. I want to figure out how I can get to you to tell me what you need in your business because I want to help. Now, here's the deal. You tell me how I can help you, and I'll, I'll give you honest feedback. If, the, if I can't add value to you or if I can't solve your problems or help you work through your problems and I don't have a solution for you, then we'll just chat and we'll brainstorm and try to figure it out together. But you telling me what you need help with is going to do a couple things it's going to help you obviously but it's also going to help me understand what other listeners might need as well, right? Because what one person needs, chances are a lot of people need that. So you telling me what you need and us working through that is going to help me help other people, but it'll also help you at the same time, right? So it's like a win-win situation, but it all starts with you reaching out and telling me how I can help you in your business. And you do that by emailing me at mike at juststartrealestate.com, subject line help and I will get in touch with you, and we'll see if we can't help work on your problems together and come up with a solution. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. All right, now let's dive into the show. There are no deals out there, right? You're an you're in San Diego, California, one of the most incredibly competitive markets in the country, and you're not spending money. So, there's no deals and I don't have money for marketing. Like those are the two objections that I hear to being successful in real estate all the time. I don't have no money for marketing and there are no deals, right? You're like a, you're like the walking billboard for crushing that argument. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right. Thank you for joining me here on Just Our Real Estate. I am excited to have you. I'm excited to be here with you, and I'm excited to bring uh, the awesome... Uh, show and interview that I have in store for you today. So thanks for showing up. Thanks for being here. Uh, Before we dive into that, though, I do want to say that in this episode, for the first time in 353 episodes that I've done, I had a little audio issue in the beginning, and you won't hear it because the audio didn't even record for about uh, five minutes, probably. And uh, my guest today, uh, his name is uh, Jesse Trujillo. And he is an investor in San Diego. He is fantastic. Uh, he was born and raised in San Diego. He's a married guy with two kids, ages 10 and 11 um he loves to travel he's just a cool dude he's he's a fix and flipper in san diego and he's been doing that since 2010 he will do 80 deals this year and that, that means 80 close he's actually acquired 100 deals but he anticipates that 80 of them will close before the end of the year but here's the kicker guys here's why i had him on and here is uh aside from the fact that he's doing 80 deals which i think is remarkable but he's doing 80 deals and he hasn't spent a dime on marketing. That to me is uh, amazing. And and I'm really, really excited to bring him on and talk about how he's doing that because I know a lot of folks are are, um, trying to get more deals and more leads and they're spending money and it's really frustrating and they run out of money or they just don't have the money, the budget for the marketing. He's doing it without any marketing budget at all. But, like I said, uh, we missed a little audio in the beginning, and here's what it was. I asked him about his uh his his past like how he started, and essentially uh he helped his his sister buy a house and then subsequently sell it and and make a profit on it and when he helped her sell it and he saw the profit she made, uh it kind of turned on those those um you know, those entrepreneurial juices. And he decided that he uh, wanted to dive in and, and do real estate and, and and flip houses. And he got kind of sucked into that whole world because he saw the possibilities. Prior to that, uh, he was in med school. And you will hear him talk a little bit about that. But uh, smart guy, obviously. He was going to be a doctor and at some point decided that real estate and flipping houses made him happier. And, and, and he'll talk about that during the show too. But I just wanted to let you know it's going to start kind of abruptly because We cut in a few minutes into the actual interview after he has already talked about helping his sister buy her first house and then sell it and make a profit and how that really made an impact on him. So that's what you missed. And uh, I I really hope that you enjoy the rest of this interview because it was a great one, I think. So uh, without any further uh, uh, explanation of my mistake, let's dive into that interview.
1: It closed. It was such a rush for me that just, it was just, I think I was more excited than she was. At the end of the day, because I know she was going to rent it out and um, rent two of the rooms and have one. I think she was going to be paying like two to $300, you know, out of her part, you know, to have this. So,
0: wow. So, yeah. So I'm sorry to interrupt you, but you, you kind of, you kind of, it sounds like the the real estate thing kind of started um, more out of uh, the desire to help your sister than it was for you to like, I love real estate and I want to be involved in real estate.
1: That Correct. Correct. So right after that, I, you know, since I it was just such a rush, it was, it was exciting. I asked her, "Hey, if you could buy a rental, would you be interested?" And she goes, "Oh, if you could figure it out and I can qualify, go for it." <laughs> so that was back in, back in like '99, wow. when there was still a couple of FHA foreclosures still back in the picture. You know, a little bit of them left over. So we got her a, a, I found a condo for sixty thousand in the Chula Vista area here in San Diego, and and um, it was a foreclosure and she got approved, you rented it. Um, super excited after that, we put a tent in there, me being her brother, you know, and I'm the one who kind of kind of made her do it. I became Mr. Property Manager ah. for these properties. And what ended up happening every couple months, we ended up getting her another rental and another rental and another rental. So by the time we knew it, she had close to eight to 10 rentals, which I was managing and still going to school. So it was coming a little way too much for me to handle. So I remember telling her one day, hey, um, I think it's, you know, either you got to get a property manager or sell them. Yeah. And she just looked at me and says, oh, I don't know, just, just sell them, Jesse, you know? So we went ahead and started selling them. And that was the day that I really saw what flipping a house is because I started seeing how much she was getting. The market had gone up. Yeah. And so I saw from what we bought it to what we sold it, how much she was making on each of these ones that rentals that we were selling. So it just, you know, light bulb went off in, the, in my head and just said, wow, this yeah. is this is something, you know, I yeah. hadn't really heard of, you know, flipping houses back then. So
0: Funny. So really these were, these weren't meant to be flips. You flipped them essentially, but they were meant to be rentals. And, right. uh, and when the market went up and you did the renovation, you know, that you created that equity that everyone, everyone talks about, then, then there was some serious money. To be made. So how, do you remember how much she made off these things? Do you back then?
1: Uh, I mean, it was back then. I think it was maybe t- between 10 and 20,000 okay. on, on, on each one, but I'm, I mean, there were minimal work. Yeah, you know they were rental ready. Wow! But it just obviously it was a market that helped out that it went up. Sure. But uh, yep. But it still showed me what what could be done.
0: Absolutely. You know, so how how long ago was this? What what year are we in right now?
1: That was back in '99.
0: Okay. Back in, back wow. 99. Okay.
1: Okay. Between '99 and and maybe like 2002 ish. You know that was kind of that that little pocket right there when the market started creeping up.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. We just started selling those. So what that did for me. Well, I, I want to join, I want to join into this as well. So, I mean, I was going just with my, my job that I had at the university, at the laboratory Yeah. I qualified, I think I bought, it was a $50,000 studio foreclosure that I found. That was my first one. I was literally there at night sometimes, um, with holding a book in one hand and painting with a paintbrush in the other, <laughs> just doing it all myself, you know, trying to change, uh, trying to change, uh, sockets. In there getting electrocuted just figuring out the hard way and and uh so you just went for it when you say and a remember, book
0: a book in your hand i'm sorry i want to hear what you remember but when you say a book in your hand you mean like a like a textbook or like a book on how to fix uh, houses a, te-
1: a textbook i think okay. either chemistry or biology <laughs> i was, doing homework. I was right. doing homework
0: that's hilarious i'm sorry you were saying yeah. you remember yeah
1: so then we you know we just kept we kept going and um and i remember when i flipped that first one i think i made five thousand dollars it was a five thousand dollar fix and flip, okay. which now right now we look at the big picture and I probably would have never have touched it or something <laughs> like that. But but back then, for a starving student, I mean I, that was yeah that was the world because it wasn't a job. It was it was for me it was a hobby. It was it was exciting, right? And to know that I did that and I flip, I think I I flipped it within a month and to make five thousand back then it was like wow that was that was amazing.
0: Well, like you said, knowing what you know now and being a smart investor, you wouldn't go for a deal that you were only going to clear $5,000 five, $5, maybe. But the other way is you you got paid $5,000 to learn. You know what I mean? Like right. you were learning something and you got paid right. for it. It's very cool. Yeah. Which yeah. is different than than going to, to medical school where right. you don't get paid to go to school, you pay to go to school. <laughs> yes. Yeah.
1: 100%. And, and, and you know, I'm kind of going to that story with how I kind of got decided to make that change It's, uh, so I started buying, you know, one here, one there. Then while I was, while I was still working at the laboratory and going to school, I just, um, I was working with a lot of doctors. I was doing a lot of perinatal research and I was actually got to the point where I got, I got, uh, became the head, the head laboratory manager for the laboratory. Actually, I became, it was actually a head surgeon for the laboratory that we're doing there. So I was working with a lot of head doctors from UCSD and. You know, we got to know each other, became friends. And on three different occasions, three, you know, they each kind of came to me. We're just talking. They knew what I was doing on the side. And they all came to me and they said, dang, Jesse, if I had to choose what you're doing now to what I'm doing now, I would rather do what you're doing. And it really stuck to me. And it was three doctors on, on three different occasions in different ways. But they said the exact same thing. They said it's being a doctor, sadly, isn't what it used to be. There's a lot of red tape. There's, you know you're, you're, you're not the one making the decisions. It's insurances. Right. And yes, you're going out there to help people, but it's not the same, you know, it's not what they signed up for. And it really kind of resonated and kind of really just, I took it to heart what they were saying. And, and the fact that they said, man, I would do that in a heartbeat. And the fact that I loved it, that it was really like a hobby. Yeah. I made, I made the jump. I made the jump and it was back in like two thousand two thousand five 2005 or six, I decided to leave the laboratory and UCSD and I just kind of started jumping into it and um, then we just started going just started going with it I I didn't create the company just yet um, because I was still kind of trying it out and sure enough what happened in 2008 Mm -hmm. the market crashed yeah so back then I had it I was kind of dabbling in higher end for San Diego for me yeah it's like you know between the six and eight hundred thousand back then and those were the first ones to go as you know when the market crashed yep so literally I went from doing great leaving my, my future career of being a doctor and went for it and lost everything, oh. literally lost everything. And, but it's okay. Cause it made me stronger. I, I learned a lot and I, uh, and I told myself it never happened again. And, you know, told my wife at the time, Hey, I have two decisions. I can go back to school or we can keep it, keep trying. And you know, she gave me the green light. She goes, I know you love to do it. And so we kept it going. So we tried a little bit here and there.
0: Oh, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I just wanted to ask. I'm gonna I'm gonna digress just a bit because sure. I'm I'm curious, and I know people who listen to this podcast are gonna are probably asking the question and wanting to know. Oh, you said you bought, you were buying. Uh, I don't know when you were in the lab and working. Were you buying rentals or buying like properties and flipping them?
1: I was buying them to flip.
0: Okay, how were you financing those? Because you were a student, like you said, yes. right? How were yeah. you financing? No, there them? was
1: uh, conventional financing. You know, just the okay. financing that was out there. You know, I, have, I had private. You know, I kind of between family, friends, people I knew, private investors helped me with the down payment. Okay. And and just kind of just kind of added that into your costs. Okay. So cool. So that that was kind of the way to do it. So I wasn't doing a huge amount of volume. A lot of the times, I'd have to sell one to be able to go buy another. Yeah. You know, to, when I first started.
0: Okay. So and then 2008 happened. Obviously, we all remember that. And you say you lost everything. Were did you? Were you left holding houses that depreciated so fast that you couldn't get rid of them, and they were like upside down? Or like when you say lost everything, I don't need a dollar amount, but what do you mean by sure. that? What did you have?
1: Oh, I, 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 it's, um, it's very humbling for me, even to hear myself sometimes talk about it, because yeah. I remember those days. I look back. So back then, literally, I think we had when the market crashed. It must have been between four and six properties that I, that I had at that at that moment. Okay. I didn't know. Anything about short sales? I I haven't I had never heard of what a short sale is back in those days, and what happened was I learned very quickly what that was. But sadly, I wish I I wish I knew now, you know what what I know now back then because what happened was I held on to them. I I didn't want to mess up the credit. I didn't want to do anything. So I was paying mortgages on all those houses every single month, which I think it was totaling like I think I remember it was like forty thousand a month, just trying to trying to, trying to keep those afloat was the biggest mistake that I could have done. But here I was thinking what happened at the end, I ended up short selling them some foreclosed. So if I would have known from day one, I should have just let them all go, you know, let them all go and and started fresh. That just would have been the correct thing for me to do. But I was trying to, you know, trying to, trying to, Save our credit, you know, yeah. And did, our families, the people are investors. There, did you, you know, eventually
0: do that, or did you end up kind of getting through that paying for them until you could unload them?
1: I, I, I started, you know, I, I paid from as far as I could until really I ran out of money, yeah. You know, that was, I had no. No choice. Yeah, no yeah, choice.
0: no, no, I get it. I get it. And that happened to a lot of people. I mean, the fact that you didn't just immediately go, ah, I'm just going to dump them and, and move on, right? Like, I get it. Financially, that is the right move. It is the right move for you back then. But I think that it, it shows integrity. I mean, what you did was you tried to, to do the right thing for as long as you could, and then it comes to a point. Um, that actually happened to a lot of investors. And frankly, being where you live in San Diego, I don't know if that's where the houses were exactly. It they sounds were. like that's where they were. Like you know there were it, that happened to everybody all over the country but some people live in markets where the houses they bought were $100,000 houses not right. $800,000 houses right. so you know the impact was maybe a little less but um yeah man that that was a rough time and it's it's funny i actually got into real estate in 2008 so i was walking in fresh and i didn't lose money cuz i was buying them at the bottom and and that was it was fine but you know it had i known now then I would have done way better because I didn't realize what a what a great time it was to get into real estate investing. Having been in it already and holding on to expensive properties, the worst time for that. But um, but if you're just now, if you're just coming into the market at that point, you know, 2008 was a. Was, I didn't realize how easy it was actually for me to get in. I I just kind of thought, well, this is no big deal, like houses, you know. And, and I'm in Michigan, so I was buying houses for thirty or forty thousand. That a year or two ago, were worth hundred and I'm like buying them for forty, putting twenty into them, selling them for eighty. It was a nice, neat little operation, and, and very little, you know, at risk there in terms of money. But um, I didn't realize how lucky I was. I would have bought a lot more, and I would have raised money a lot faster. <laughs> I would, I would have right. been a little more desperate to like monetize that situation, but I didn't know any better. I was just kind of doing onesie twosie for a while. So that's so that happened, two thousand eight. So let's talk about let's let's get on the other side of that. Let's talk about the good things. What how did you recover from that? What was your approach to getting out of that situation and what do you what did you do from that point forward to kind of ensure that you wouldn't find yourself in that position again?
1: Yeah, well, like I said, it's 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 about learning from your mistakes, learning from from the past and 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 either you could dwell on them or move forward and 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 make sure it doesn't happen again or at yeah. least do your best so it doesn't happen again. And that's kind of what that's kind of the the, the, you know, the path I took and I just uh, told my wife, hey, let's keep, I'm gonna keep doing it. So I um, tried it 2008, 2009. I think we didn't pick up anything. Into Right at the end of 2009, I picked. I found one deal. There was one deal out there. I begged investors, you know, um, to, you know, I found a good deal. Yep. I did it, I think I made 60, 50 to 60,000 on it,
0: Okay, on the flip.
1: So it was a great deal. So yeah. that was one deal in 2009. When that 2009, um, happened we were literally I was literally living in uh, my my father-in-law's uh, garage with our newborn baby um, we literally had nothing I think a you know a car that was trying to keep up you know and um, and that six that, that one deal is what kind of I, I told myself either we can we can you know the tr- what traditional thing let's let's use this and let's me go get a job and he's at 60,000. Or I kind of rolled the dice and, and try to learn from our mistakes and know that we know real estate's a good avenue. And, uh, and I decided to jump into, into the market again. And sure enough, what we did is that was 2009, did that one deal. In 2010, we did 20. So I, I jumped into it by myself. Um, literally, maybe sometimes my dad would help me out just because I, as I started getting a bunch of properties, you know, so I did 20 deals on my own. No marketing. How'd you um, find them? Just, How'd you
0: find those deals? I'm dying to know. In so, 2009.
1: So, so back in it's back in 2010. Really, okay, all it yeah. was, I all I started, all I started doing was I I calling agents. Uh, very important is you know I mean people talk about MLS access. For me, I think that was been one of the biggest um, things that I could have done for my business. Yeah. You know how how important it is, especially here in San Diego. I mean that it's it's just you have so much information to, to who you need to speak to, you know, more information about the property for you to do your due diligence yeah. and everything. So all I did, I had a realtor friend, actually a broker friend, and she made me her assistant and I had MLS access. And with that alone, I would stayed up late nights looking for deals, looking for what was there, making sure I put myself on notifications that something pops up. And the moment they'd pop up, I'd be the first one calling the agent. and and putting myself out there and just, just calling them, just talking to them. Yeah. And, uh, little, going to meet them, you know, going to meet them in person. And that's all it took. You know, I meet with them. They, they kind of feel, Hey, okay, Jesse, Jesse seems like the real deal. It seems like he's telling us he's not going to play games with us. And, and they'd give me the shot, you know, they gave me the shot and, and and I'd end up getting the deal.
0: That's awesome. You know, people ask MLS access, do I need MLS access access? You know, in a lot of times they're asking really just for ARVs and stuff, but People really, they try very hard to avoid dealing with realtors and getting MLS access. And I think it's a huge mistake. And, and obviously, that's what jump started your business. And, and it, what's really interesting is, you know, it, it's human nature. And I've, I've been a victim of this, and I'm, I'm guilty of this uh, probably from time to time and maybe more often than I'd like to admit, that it's easy to create a postcard send it to a, a, a mail house, and just blast it out to thousands of people and sit back with your arms folded and wait for the phone to ring. It's a lot harder to get on the phone or, or go around to these offices and talk to realtors, create a relationship, show them that you mean business, you know, buy stuff from them and, and sell things through them and create that real relationship, that's a lot harder. And people discount it because they just want the easy solution, the microwave solution, right? I call it the microwave solution, where you just kind of do something and you instantly get gratification. And and that's why, you know, when we first met and you told me how you were getting deals, I was like, what in the heck is going on? And and I, I've told this story many times, but if you don't mind, I'll, I'll tell it here because my listeners haven't sure. heard it. Um we were talking and and we we met because you joined the seven figure altitude program and right. um which is it's used to be the seven figure flipping but anyways you joined that and we were just kind of chatting and during that program we do something called hot seats where you you we break into groups of like 10 12 companies and we all have about a half an hour to go in front of the group and talk about what we're doing that's working and what we what we need help with, what, what our challenges are. And we kind of, the, the room acts as a board of directors and we really kind of dig into people's businesses and it can be really, really um, helpful and, and exciting and, and really, really cool. And your concern was, I don't really have anything to give. Like I have questions and challenges and things I want to learn and I, there's things I want to take from the group. But I don't really have anything to give. Like, I'm not doing anything that anyone would care about. And right right as you said that, Nate Johnson was walking by, and Nate is somebody who uh, will probably be on the next episode after the one that you're listening to right now, or maybe the one after that. But shortly, uh, he'll be on my podcast. And he's Bill Allen's COO. They're running a $3.5 million wholesaling business, and they do tons of volume. They're doing 20, 25 deals a month, I think. And I just grabbed him randomly, just on a whim. said, Nate, come over here for a minute. I said, if I could put you in a room with a guy for 10 minutes who is doing 80 deals a year, and he's not spending any money on market is zero money on marketing, no postcards, no PPC, no Facebook, none of that no bandit signs, none of that stuff. Doing 80 deals without spending a dime. Would you be interested? And he's like, Hell yeah. Like, where is he? I want to talk to him. And I'm like, He's right here and he doesn't think that he's doing anything interesting that anyone cares about. And he's like, Oh man. So uh, you pique the interest of, of, of somebody who's running one of the most impressive real estate businesses I've ever seen in my entire life, probably one of the most impressive real estate businesses in the country. You you piqued his interest, and he was dying to talk to you. So, um, it, it's it's we all sort of think what we're doing is real pedestrian, and and, it, and then nobody cares. But uh, I'm from a guy who've watched hundreds, if not a thousand people, come in and out of our of our mastermind group at, at various levels of success. I don't know that I found anybody who's doing 80 or more deals uh, without spending money. It, it's unheard of. So the, it's just a testament to you, to your your personality. Like People like you. They trust you. And, and you have a rapport with people. And, and it's not like you don't have to... I'm not saying you're not, but if anybody listen to this going, well, I'm not interesting and I don't have a good personality. Like, listen it's you go out there and you make the effort to meet people and not you're not going to gel with everybody but the bottom line is if you spend the time and the effort you can do deals because the number one thing that i hear that keeps people from doing this business or the the yeah butters i call them the people who no matter what you say to them or how you try to help them it's always yeah but a lot of times it's there are no deals out there right you're in you're in San Diego California one of the most incredibly competitive markets in the country and you're not spending money so there's no deals and I don't have money for marketing like those are the two objections that I hear to being successful in real estate all the time I don't have no money for marketing and there are no deals right you're like a, you're like the walking billboard for <laughs> crushing that argument right because you're in a you're in a market that frankly I've told people in the past who are struggling in, in Southern California like Hey, maybe try like outskirt markets or like maybe even a different market altogether. Like it's a tough market, and and you're you're having a high level of success, and you haven't even, I mean, you're just starting to dabble now, but you haven't done serious marketing to this point. So, very incredible. Um, so let let's talk about how that happened. We started t- with realtors, and then you did twenty deals that in two thousand ten. So we're, this is two thousand nineteen as we're as we're recording this, end of two thousand and nineteen. Let's talk some of the chronological stuff that happened between 2010. Which, you know, back in 2010, in most markets, it was there were a lot of deals out there. There, there really were. But everyone was, you know, everything in the media was, oh my gosh, real estate's the worst, get out, you know. And it's like if you know anything about investing, even if it's like stocks and whatever, when everything's down, that's when you buy, right? But, but, but the whole world's saying get out. And, and frankly, back then, my first deal I ever tried to do. Um, I got traditional financing too and in the middle of trying to close the deal the bank um, closed like it was a local small bank and it they just shut down and it was crazy time but but what did you do to ramp up from that point and and how does your deal flow kind of look as we fast forward now into like more recent times?
1: sure yeah so you know I can attribute so when I did that first year in 2010 did 20 deals and literally was by myself and little help with my dad and I was I was loving it. You know, it was the greatest thing going from being broke to now there's money coming in and providing for your family. And, uh, so that made, that was the greatest thing that could have ever happened to us and me and my family. Yeah. And, but at the same time, it was, I was working mad hours a day. You know, I was a one man show and that's where I reached out to my cousin Miguel and, and, uh, said, Hey, you want to come aboard and, and help me out. So he started in 2011, in 2011, he came aboard and it was me and him. And, we're looking for deals and kind of the same thing i think we ended up i think the end of 2011 we ended up 20 25 ish you know so we did a little bit a little bit more okay you know kind of getting a little more organized but um then fast forward from there really with just a couple here a couple there you know kind of around the same got to maybe 30 ish but really between 20 and 30 that was our max you know that was kind of that was our we, we weren't even our even i think our brain wouldn't let us to think we, we can't do more than that that's yeah. way too hard. it's stupid that's, too, that's it's unheard of but i really think I, I took a took a little little break around you know 2014 ish 15 ish and and in 2016 you know started reading some books kind of seeing how system, some people were systemizing things and talking about building teams and 2000 I think it was 16 uh we hired we hired a young lady that's still with us right now and she all, all we trained her to do really to focus on is look for deals on the mls that's all she did you know look for deals in mls well, me and Miguel, maybe we'd go out there and talk to the agents, and we'd be kind of the face of the company. Yeah. But she'd be looking for deals. But what that did, and I mentioned, it I think it's one of the hugest things that anybody can do. You know, even as as they start off, as they grow, to, to get to that next level is it. You know, paying paying someone a salary. It's scary. You know, it's very scary. But yeah. I th- at the end of the day, I mean, we are are we paying her a salary, but it took it took looking for these deals off our plate. I mean, it just opened up more time for us yeah. to focus yeah. on other things that what produces money at the end of the day, you got to close that deal. So it's, if we're going to these properties, look at them, you know, it, what's, is it better for us to be on the MLS, you know, nine to five, looking for that or pay someone to do it, you know? So that's what I kind of learned. And and that kind of opened my eyes there. Another friend of mine, her name is Patty and she um, she's our project manager. She was our stager at one point. And and I saw her yelling at the contractors and I loved it. And I said, oh man, she's great. (laughs) And uh, and so I talked to her, you know, and I said, hey, would you be interested in being our project manager? Because me and Miguel were doing that as well. yeah, You know, going out to these properties. So how much time was it taking away from our day where we could be looking for more deals, could be talking to more agents, you know? And so she joined in, so she took that away. I mean, we're in 2019, I can tell you that, gosh, I don't go to hardly any properties right now. I mean, it's, it's just, it's crazy. I, I miss going to them sometimes. So I'll go once in a while, but it's, it's, where's your time better spent. Yeah. And so what that did, it opened my eyes of, of, of what, you know, building a team, what it can do. And so to fast forward right now, I think we went to, we were in 60, 60 something in 2000 uh, in, in 2017, we did about 60 deals 2018, we're close to 80, 70 ish, 70 something, and this year we're on track for 80. You know, nice. so it's it's what is done, and now my team is close to. There's about nine of us right now in different different places, but um, you know, from just even a field, inspe- a field inspector, which is my father-in-law. You know, he goes out and checks these properties for us just yeah. for security. But it's things that take away time from us that really we need to focus on what we're we're. Our time is better spent yeah. to go looking for these deals, talking to these agents, totally. You know, analyzing that deal, making that final decision of you know what we want to offer.
0: So, like that. one thing we didn't clarify, I think people got it contextually, but you're flipping houses, correct? Is that that's mostly correct. what you're doing? Are you doing any wholesales right. or, or rentals or we, anything?
1: We have done, I think, two wholesales, but only this year, just because we wanted to get our feet wet. Okay, um, right. but that's kind of fix and flip is all we've been doing from from since we started. Okay. It's more fix and flips. There's a couple rentals that I have picked up. Actually, I just it was one of my goals of mine to buy an apartment building, and we bought a 23 unit here in San Diego. Okay. Um, this year, and it's just, uh, just, just kind of a little, a little bit different, but that's, uh, that's just something that I wanted to do for ourselves and get my feet wet.
0: So let's let's. I want a couple questions here because I'm I'm just sort of trying to anticipate what people are asking as they're hearing you talk. Number one, we talked about networking and realtors. Where would you say I don't know how many different like lead channels you have but like what are your top lead channels where are you getting the majority of your deals what what are the top two or three ways you're doing that right
1: so it is again so right now really it's us looking on the mls that's that's number one that's okay. looking on the mls the other thing is agents you know as as they come out call these agents build a relationship with them as you do a deal with them you make sure that you stick to your word and you do everything you said because i can promise you that some of them will come back and just bring you deals on their own because they enjoyed working with you. Yeah. The other thing is wholesalers. Wholesalers are your best friend as well. Yeah. You know, just looking for, for wholesalers and and as as your name gets out there, trust me, I get calls from wholesalers that I didn't even know but they just they found us. Yeah. You know, obviously through word of mouth or just seeing that we we bought on, you know, through county records and stuff, but where it's it's there's so many fix and flippers, there's so many people, you know, people out there, the investors that want to buy yeah. But what'll make you stand out is really your reputation. So yeah. I, I want to say our reputation is what's taking us to the next level. And just like I said, be, be making sure that that's one of the biggest things that me and me and my team uh, make it make it a point to make sure that we stick to what we say and you know our our reputation stays intact as you know okay. strong as it can
0: so when you find deal when realtors are bringing you deals are are you still finding deals on the mls stuff that's listed that you didn't get first look at or any inside track or pocket listings are you still making offers on mls properties and getting them and making money
1: every day Wow. Every day. That's yeah, that's every funny because
0: that's another thing I hear. There are no deals on the MLS. It's just, and especially right. in your market, I guarantee you have competition, obviously. There yes. are probably other people making offers. How do you get your offers accepted?
1: Uh, make strong offers. That's the other thing too. I mean, as we've grown, we've noticed, you know, I mean, back in the day, I mean, just just, just me personally, i shorter contingency periods, you know, you know, yeah. you gotta have, make sure you have your team, right? You feel comfortable. Yeah. If you're gonna go for these things, you, you know, you're gonna be competitive But that's exactly what you said. There's so much competition here in San Diego. And if you're right, and if you're not competitive on that offer, they're not gonna choose you. They're not even gonna look at your offer. What Now, so, when you
0: say competitive, do you mean, uh, or maybe all of this, so do you mean like a strong purchase, like a strong price, so, lower contingencies, like, Is it a combination or like, are you still making the low offer, but you just have other things that are attractive or how does that look?
1: It's, I mean, your, your numbers are your numbers. You know, Mm -hmm. I've obviously learned that the hard way when I first started is you got to stick to that number. If you don't like, you know, don't, don't offer more than than what your number is. You got to stick to your gut and it is what it is because you know, there's going to be other investors out there that will offer way more. They're going to blow you out of the water, Mm -hmm. but I can tell you, we've done so many deals of, of, Agents calling us and saying, Jesse, is your offer still on the table? It's, it was much lower than the other guy, but these guys just played games with me. Yeah. They didn't even have financing. They asked for price reductions. I'd rather go with you, and you're going to stick to your word and know that you're going to close it. So, yes, it's, it's, yes, making strong offers, but stick to whatever your number is. Whatever yeah. your number is, just stick to it. But you're right. It is a combination of your number plus contingencies plus deposit. I've noticed, like, we do an average of 20,000 deposit." Wow. every single house, we wow! In. every single. Okay. And, and, and that's just, we've just gotten to that point, you know, but I, but I can tell you that here, at least for me in San Diego, I noticed that when I did that, people took me way more seriously. Oh yeah. And what, what's getting, the
0: average purchase price? What, what is your acquisition, uh, your, your purchase price of houses that you're buying?
1: Our purchase price average is between 300 and 400,000. Okay. Okay. Right, right around that, that pocket we, we deal with, because of my history and because of what happened with the, uh, and the market crashed, and those high ends. I think that 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 changed my mind frame completely <laughs> on those. Yeah. And and I my it, all, our whole model is entry level homes for San Diego. Yeah. We're at entry level pricing. You know, the medium house price is like six hundred and change. We're under that. You know, we're
0: mm-hmm. we're
1: in we're in the we're in the pockets that you know still you know perfect. Remember San Diego, we have a lot of um, military military people here. So for VA loans, you know, people who just you're just you know entry level pricing their first house maybe that's where we stick to. And, but we do it all over San Diego County, but it's it's mainly focusing in those pockets. Why? Because for me personally, it just makes me feel comfortable, lets me sleep at night, yeah. have investors with me. Yep. Um, I know if something goes wrong, God forbid, I can refinance it, maybe, you know, break even on a rental, you know, yeah. if, if needed. Luckily that's, that's never happened, but if it does, you know, or it's it's selling it cheaper and just getting out of it and moving on to the next one. You know, yeah. You just but but when you do those high-end ones, like I learned the hard way, you can't refinance and and, and rent no. those, you know, they're not going to pay themselves. They're not no. going to even be close to that. So that's uh most of my investors that, that deal with the same thing. I mean, for others who are going to get started, that's, that's the pocket you want to be in because I can tell you're going to get not only way more investors, you're going to have peace of mind. Yeah. You're going to have peace of mind to let you sleep at night.
0: Yep. Totally, man. I love that. I love that a lot. I love you. I absolutely like, I'm, You don't even know how much you've made me think since we left San Diego a couple weeks back about the way that we do our marketing and the way that we're finding deals. You know, it's it's a serious hole in my company the the non you know marketing deals. Like everything we get, every deal we get is a product of of spending money on something, right? Whether it's Google AdWords or or Facebook or direct mail. And I, it's because we, you know, in our case, in my business, we built it so fast that in order for us to get where we wanted to go as fast as we did, we had to throw fuel on the fire. We never took the time to build out a more organic uh, lead source like relationships, right? Relationships right. T- takes time, and I'm notoriously impatient, and okay. I'm and I'm really just I'm just aggressive when it comes to like getting to where I want to go, and so paid marketing was was very much in 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 my wheelhouse of what I wanted to do, but I see that it is a huge blind spot that needs to be addressed. I think every business should be networking and and getting deals without just spending money to do it. And I really think if if your goal is to scale and get to another level, some people start networking like you did, and you get to a point. and if you want to go well past that, you can for sure, you can do more mark or networking, but it's it's a little bit tougher to scale that. So direct mail or whatever. Some other paid marketing might be a component that, that you're gonna add this year. I don't know, but um, right. but for me, someone who went the other route, mine was all paid. I absolutely have to add in some of that non, you know, <laughs> that non-expensive lead channel. Um, uh, when it comes to at least dollars and cents, it takes time. Obviously, and time is money. But um, that's a blind spot, and we need to address it. And you've really got in my head when we were talking. I thought that was really interesting. So, so you're doing all flipping basically. You've done a couple of wholesales just to get your feet wet. Um, you must have at this point, I would imagine, a fairly um, efficient. Uh, flipping machine. Uh, let's talk about that just for a minute. I'd love to I'd love to touch on that because I'm always interested. Right now, wholesaling is such a buzz, you know, thing, and and everyone thinks that's the sexy thing to do. I love talking to people who are flipping and like don't even really wholesale, and and they're not really missing it too much. Talk to me about your your flip projects um, what's your average, um, budget on your flips? Um, how many crews do you have? How do you find contractors? How do you keep contractors? Like all the things that people struggle with and really what keeps some people away from flipping or gets them out of flipping is they get, they crash and burn bad contractors, contractors burn them, you know, just all those things. How do you maintain a successful, efficient flip machine?
1: Right. Well, know, again, it, it has opened, happened over the years and you learn a lot from different ones. You know, i to give a story. When we first started, and when I was doing the 20, 20 flips, I found one contractor. I don't even remember, to be honest, how I found him, but we kind of touched base, and um, and he came aboard. And so I started giving him all our flips. You know, and learned from me that you know it's good to have someone you trust. He kind of almost became family to a certain degree, right? Because you you see him every day, and and you feel good about him, and he's he's, he's bringing in all the crews, and he's he was finishing everything on time. And under budget and and we were making money, you know, he was happy. I was happy. Yeah. And so he had, you know, so he started building his crews because I started getting more properties. And what happened, we were giving them all our deals. This was back in 2010, 11, 11-ish, a uh, little bit of, maybe a little bit of 12. But um, what happened was that we were giving this contractor all our deals that all of a sudden we just started seeing kind of things are taking a little bit longer. He was asking for more money, which was very different from what you know we had been doing. Mm-hmm. But what happened is he got very comfortable. He got very comfortable, and he just kind of knew, hey, Jess is going to give me more, more deals and more deals. And um, I started going to some of the job sites a little more, and uh, and I found out he wasn't there. You know, and they, and I'd ask the workers, always, oh, yeah," and like kind of they shrugged their shoulders, and I could see their their face. Something was up. You know, yeah. Talk story short, I'm mean, going to talk about impatience. And I don't know if I tell the story, but. I, I knew where he lived because, I, you know, he had lived in an apartment building. And, and, and so I said, you know what, I'm tired of this. And I went, I literally went to his house because I just had a hunch. I figured, I wonder if he's at home, you know, here we have a bunch of <laughs> these jobs going on. yeah. And what happened, sure enough, I walked in and it was a kind of, it was an apartment building and in the center of the apartment building, there's a pool. He was by the pool in his shorts with I think like some of his family members, right? I know I walked in And I remember him, I've never seen him so white in my life. And he's Mexican like me and brown, but he was white at that point. (laughs) And he just, and he just looked, he he thought he saw a ghost when I walked in. And I, I'm a, I'm a very straightforward guy and and cool. And I just kept my, you know, I was obviously very angry at the fact that here he is losing money. I'm giving him all this work. You know, we're giving that trust to him. and, And here he is by the pool. And sure enough, he came up and I just said, Hey, I just want to check up on you. And I even asked him, Hey, do you need anything? I'll go bring some sodas or. Whatever you need, you know, just yeah. kinda, I just gave him a pat on the back and he knew. He knew at that point he was gone. Yeah. So so it was a learning lesson for me because I can't blame him like we talked about mm-hmm. taking ownership of 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 the mistakes. Yeah. My my mistake, what I've learned from there, and I can pass this on, is don't deal with just one contract. Yeah. Have several. Have several. maybe in the beginning you don't have that many deals. You know, you might have just one or two, but I'm just saying as you grow, make sure you do have couple of guys, because you never know something in their life can change that they just won't be there. They'll leave you hanging that you need to, you know, your project still needs to finish. So you need to make sure you need to move someone else over, you move them over. Yeah. And you also build that, you know, competitiveness that where they know, Oh shoot, you know, just gonna give, if I don't hurry up and finish this deal, he's going to give that next deal to the other guy. You know, if I'm not done with mine.
0: Yeah. I, I think it goes both ways, right? Like I, I've done this too. So I'm not, I'm certainly not pointing fingers, but he got comfortable, but, in a way, you probably did too, because you had a guy you could count right. on. Why should I go out and spend the time and energy and aggravation of looking for other contractors? Like, this guy's great. I'll just use him, and I'll go do some. I'll work on some other part of my business, right? Right. It just, it just, it's, it's, it really goes for contractors. It goes for employees. Anything you should really always be building a bench. Like you should always be have your mind that you're in the market for more contractors. You're in the market for more project managers. You're in the market for more sales guys, even if you don't need them. Like right. keep that keep that open that keep th- those waters flowing so that when right. you do have a problem obviously there's some place you can go for that yeah. super smart I love that um, I gotta ask you because I get this question a lot and I love asking house flippers this question as far as like your your philosophy or your structure when it comes to paying contractors. How much do you typically give down? Now, maybe let's not talk about somebody that you've worked with for years that maybe maybe you don't. Maybe, I don't want to say you do this, but if you get a little more comfortable and you're like, ah, I can give them a little more because I trust them. I've, they've done 10 deals. But like if you brought in a new contractor or somebody you've only used once, you don't know them that well, how do you structure the, the compensation for that or the, the draws? How do you structure that?
1: For us here in San Diego, I mean, the way I've built it is speed. Everything is speed because, right, we're paying holding costs for, for hard money, mm-hmm. you know, is paying the interest and everything. So if everything is speed. You want to get in and out of these properties as fast as you can. So our average our average rehab is between two and four weeks on everything we do. And to get to those two and four weeks, I mean, they need they need materials. They need stuff. And you were asking me earlier, so fast forward to now, we do have between six and eight crews right now. And for that same reason, some of them I use often, some of them I use once in a while, but they're there just in case I need them, yep. you know, and, and it's, and it's, but those main maybe two or three that I use pretty much all the time. Cause I know they're good. It's taken us a while. Like you said, we, we had it, you know, we've gone through of those six or eight, there's probably been 20 that we've gone through and we tried one and we let them go. We try another one. And the reason we found these two or three good ones is because we kept trying till we found them. Yeah. And then we kept that one Then we kept trying other ones and we kept another one. You know, so that's, that's just the way it goes in that aspect. But you were asking, um, sorry, you were asking. Like draws, uh,
0: like how do you, how um, do you do your draws?
1: So, so with these new guys that we try, because we want them to finish in two to four weeks, I mean, they don't have a lot of time. So I, one of the biggest reasons that these contractors even you said, how, how do you keep them? How do you keep the good ones is because of the way we do our draws. And they are one of the biggest things I would always ask them because, you know, a lot of these times, you know, they're working for others. You're working for other flippers other investors other companies and i ask them why you know they come looking for us sometimes which is kind of cool at this point in the game but you know when well, we would look for them you know like what what are you guys happy where you're are you guys happy what you're doing like what was what's the reason why you guys are even looking for me you know and they would be a very honest they says most flippers don't pay us till the end or they pay us late or they have an excuse why they have no money or there's always something yeah. and i can tell you that we have crews right now. The the eight that we have, we have people coming to us, and it's because of word of mouth, right? Just people talking and stuff. Because we are known as the guys who will pay you weekly and and will not hold back. Because it's a little risky, but at the same time, we are because I do have a project manager. She goes to that property and she yeah. tells them, "You don't finish, you know, this by this week. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pay you your ten grand that you're asking for. Yeah. You know, we, we we are very actually comfortable." telling them, how much do you need? How much do you need? We know what the budget is. You know, we know how much you're going to get. And we'll ask them, how much do you need this week? And it's funny, it's kind of, when you ask them, we've, we've seen where, you know, if they go for a crazy number, I'm probably not going to keep working with them. Yeah, You almost see where they feel appreciative that you're asking them how much they need, you know? Because I tell them, I just want you to finish this on time. What do you, how much do you need to finish this on time? And they usually will give you a number. And it's and it's pretty much in our head what we already had in mind and we've yeah. seen that they don't they don't go they don't go crazy. They yeah. really do just need it for materials. It's almost like they even push paying their workers towards the end, you know, yeah. on their own. Yeah. You know, so if you ask me a percentage or nothing, I really don't have a percentage, but our average flip here in San Diego, we're about forty five thousand to fifty thousand per okay. flip. Yep. A full a full rehab on these houses. Okay. So of that, you know, you're talking about ten to twelve thousand per week if it's a four week project. Yep. So yep. It's, it's, we don't mind giving that to them as long as my project manager is someone has gone to this property and said, go ahead and release the check. They've done, I've seen them working. And then I also have the property inspector that goes at least twice a week to his properties. So he's our other eyes and ears there. You know, he'll show up and he'll, he'll show up randomly and and tell us, Hey, no one's working here. Hey, someone is, and we'll call them right away. Hey, why isn't anyone working here? You know, you know, you know, if you're working somewhere else or you're doing something else, we're not going to pay you. Yeah. You know, should we get another crew? So we're very upfront with them. They love us to death, but at the same time they know we're not here to play games. Yeah. You know, we're we're here to, to be you have to be strict to a certain degree. Be their friend, but be strict and find that middle ground where they know we're hey, we're here to help each other.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like your project manager goes to, and correct me if I'm wrong, goes to the projects and they they sort of know the scope, of, well, they definitely know the scope of work. And they're just kind of looking to see, does it feel like they've done a week's worth of this work that needs to get done? Does it feel correct. like they're halfway done after week two kind of a thing? They're not necessarily like, what I, I guess what I'm getting at is I've seen um, house flippers where their scope of work is like, you know, 50 or 80 lines. You know, it's like, you know, tile, uh, um, uh, tile wall, add grout. And it's like, they're paying them, but they're crossing off, you know, 200 bucks for this, 150 for that, 500 for this. And they're paying them based off of like every little detail getting done, where it sounds like you're more looking at it as an overall project and saying, this is a four week deal. It's a $40,000 project. Do I feel like they did a of the work, I'm going to release $10,000. Not that it's a percentage, but that's kind of, you're, you're using more of a a gut feel than like you having a a hundred line item quote that you're checking off. They did these 10 things. And and we don't have a line item, you know,
1: and it's funny, we've talked about it and we said, should we get one? But these guys in a good way, they move so quick that we almost don't want to hold them to it. You know, it's like, what do you need? I'm not going to give you all the amount, but okay, but I will give you X amount, but you just, we got to make sure we've seen progress. If we don't see progress, we, we hold back the money and yeah. it's a rare occasion, but it does happen. Right. But it, it lights a fire under them to be like, okay, they're not going to give me anything until I really yep. show them that I did something. Yeah. Yeah. You know, okay. so, but you're, you're absolutely correct. I don't have a, don't have a line item we just go by the gut a little bit more well
0: listen i've always said it there's a thousand ways that you can do this business probably a hundred thousand ways you can do this business there's no right and wrong way i just always love hearing everybody's different way because you've been doing this for a long time you had there was a point in 2008 when you know most investors got burned especially flippers and people who did longer holds and you got burned and, and you learn from that and you're using experience to get you where you are so no way in shape or form am I saying it's wrong. I'm just always curious how you do it because I hear different sure. ways that people do things. Some people say, I give 25% down and 25% you know, halfway through. It's like, they don't even necess- I'm not saying they don't care, but it's like they, they're almost as if they have this formula and that's just how they pay. And you can get burned doing that because you give them 25% down and then another 25% in a week and a half. If nothing's gotten done, you're, you're, right. you're overpaying them, right? So- you you're paying for work done which is i think the the bottom line here and the in the moral is pay for work done don't pay people ahead of time don't tell, don't let them tell you well i'm going to be halfway done next week so just pay me now for for what i will have done make sure you see it before you pay that's that's probably the biggest takeaway here
1: correct correct
0: awesome so you you're doing you did 80 you're going to do 80 deals this year you're not doing any marketing what's next what are you doing what are you what are your goals for 2020
1: well I think I've I've mentioned this in this and figure a uh, group and I kind of said it out loud so I kind of hold me accountable a little bit but I told I told my team right before I actually went to the conference we had our we have our Tuesday meetings and I told them next year 2020 is uh, 200 deals.
0: Holy smokes so, that's awesome.
1: So I'm I'm pushing us to the next the next level but nice. I think we can do it. I mean, you know, it's an average of 16.6 deals a month. I mean, we're we're we we acquired this year and you know, acquisite. Uh, those are eighty deals that we've sold flips, but we've actually acquired hundred so far this year. Oh wow, okay. So, and some of them, so, twenty of
0: them, are going to be pushed to two thousand twenty. Exactly. Gotcha. So I we,
1: mean, we're gonna we're we're trying to ramp up for next year already, and um and I think we can do it. And but what I am going to do is is I'm still doing our traditional route that we're doing right now, but I am gonna now I'm bringing in our direct marketing site, you know, okay. and that's where I'm going to follow your lead and and Bill Allen's lead <laughs> and, and everyone and just kind of you know, try to try to follow that and just add to our portfolio.
0: I love that's it, man. Good. Listen, a goal that's not inspiring or a little bit scary to me, isn't really worthwhile, right? Yeah. You, you, you better scare yourself a little bit so that you'll be motivated to get off your butt and make it, make it happen. Totally. And, and going from 80 to 200 is no small feat. That's, that's huge, right. but I believe you can do it too, frankly.
1: Yeah. yeah. So I just hopefully, you know, bringing in those other acquisition sides of it, you know, we, 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 I think we can do it.
0: Awesome. I love it, man. Well, listen, uh, I've taken up a lot of your day. I, I really appreciate you jumping on here and doing this with me. Um, of course. uh, you're, you're a cool guy to do it and, and I, I appreciate it cause it's not, uh, it's not part of your day that you build in typically. So thanks for, for being here and doing this with me, man.
1: Yeah, you're more than welcome, Mike. I appreciate you having me on.
0: Awesome. Well, I will see you. Are you going to be on the cruise in February? I will be. Okay. Awesome. Well, if nothing else, then I will, I will definitely see you, uh, in February, man. Sounds good. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate it. Have a good day. We'll talk to you. You too. All right. Thanks. Yep. Bye. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed that interview uh, with Jesse um, uh, Trujillo. He is um, really an inspirational guy. Uh, I'm sure you could tell from the interview that he's he has a lot of integrity, he's a really good person, good guy. I really enjoyed getting to meet him a few weeks back at Flip Hacking Live and to learn his story. And When I found out that he was doing 80 deals a year and he hadn't spent a dime on marketing, I was very intrigued. It's definitely someone uh, that's doing it a little differently than other people. So I hope you enjoyed that. I was happy to bring it to you. Definitely something a little bit different. Most people I bring on this show that are doing a lot Lot of deals and, and kind of scaled up are doing a lot of marketing as well right so uh, very cool to hear someone who's doing it in a way that a lot of people claim it can't be done so jesse's a good dude i was psyched to bring him on and um, again really good content that i'm hoping you guys got allowed out of so this is uh uh my attempt to help you understand how you can get in this business without having to spend a ton of money. So get out there and get going, guys. As I always say, if you want to do this business, if you want to scale up, or if you just want to have a a small little business where you do a few deals a year, it doesn't matter. But the bottom line is you're not going to get it if you don't get out there and just start. So get out there and just start. Talk to you next time.